0: Get your Bible out and open it up to Jeremiah. We're in the Old Testament today, Jeremiah 23, and if you really want to get a jump on it, stick your finger in Romans 3, all right? Jeremiah 23 and Romans 3, that's where we're going to be uh, this morning, and while you're turning there, let me just give you some good news, a little little big give update. Uh, We're about 60% now of our goal, and super excited about that, and uh, of course, you know, we're uh, raising resources for a residency that will train the next generation of leaders. And so thank you for giving generously. If you still want to, you can through the end of the year. But I just wanted you to hear an update. We're about 60%. So praise God uh, of that goal. We're very thankful for you, okay? All right, so uh, Jeremiah 23 is where we're going to be today. You may not know this. You may not have this circle on your calendar. But December the 4th is apparently Santa's list day. Alright? I don't know if you got that on your on your calendar or not, but apparently it is a thing Santa's list day. and what that means is that uh, this is the day when Santa makes his list, right and uh, of of naughty and what. Nice, right? Naughty and nice. You know, you know about the list, right? Now, where this comes from is really the 1934 song. And I think we just saw a picture of that. Let's put that back up there again. The 1934 song, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, right? Uh, where it says, he's making a list and checking it. Gonna find out who's... So you know the song, all right? And, and so from 1934, parents have used this as leverage. All right? Right? Amen. Fair to use it unashamedly. We've, hey, you better straighten up, pal. You're not going to get anything from Santa if you don't get your act together. So we have used this as leverage since 1934. Uh, but this whole naughty or nice list really went to a whole different level in uh, 2005. In 2005, a book came out and it was called The Elf on the Shelf. All right? You know what I'm talking about? The Elf on the Shelf, though so you you put this little uh, this little uh, Elf guy in your house, and apparently in the story he surveils your house. Okay, he's like he's watching you all the time, and he reports back to Santa if you've been naughty or nice. And this is what determines where you how you where you end up on the list, right? If you're on the naughty or nice uh, category, the Elf on the Shelf. So he's I don't know, it seems a little creepy to me, but anyway, I'm not no judgment. All right, if you have Elf on the Shelf at your house. All right, but this whole naughty or nice idea really is at the crux of what we're going to talk about uh, today in Jeremiah twenty-three. In this series uh, over Christmas time, we've been looking at a word that that kind of describes Jesus and the coming of Jesus. So last week, the word was wondrous. And we saw how it was a wonderful thing, a, a, a awe-inspiring thing that the God of the universe could come down in human form. What wonder uh, that uh, brings to our mind. Uh, but today, the word is righteous. The word is righteous. And what we're really going to do is we're going to look at the why of Christmas. Why did Jesus have to come on that Christmas day, all right? So let's look at it, Jeremiah uh, chapter 23, and we're only gonna look at two verses, verses five and six this morning, all right? Uh, This is the word of God, Amen? amen? Look, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will raise up a righteous branch for David, and he will reign Wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name he will be called the Lord is our righteousness. Now stop right there. I want you to just take out your pen and I want you to underline in those two verses every time you see the word righteous or righteousness, okay? Underline those, those words, righteous or righteousness. You should find at least three times where those words are mentioned. And it's an important word. Uh, in fact, the word righteousness appears over 250 times in the Bible. That's a lot. Compared to the word forgiveness, which only is found 19 times in the Bible, you can understand that righteousness now is a big deal to God. It's important. Righteousness is a theme that runs all the way through the Bible and yet it's a word that we don't really use that much. I mean we don't toss around the word righteous that very often other than maybe self-righteous we might say that. But other than that we don't use the term very much. So I want to start off with a definition. What do we mean by the word righteousness? Okay. So the word righteous means to be just or blameless or lawful. To be just or blameless are lawful. The American Heritage Dictionary uh, translates this way, uh, morally upright without guilt or sin. Morally upright without guilt or sin. So what that would mean is a person that's righteous is a person that keeps God's law perfectly. Someone who is morally upright and pure. Somebody who always does the right thing. Someone who is always right with God right? That that is what a righteous person is. That's how you define righteousness. Now, uh, righteousness is often seen in the Bible in contrast to the opposite, which would be wicked, right? So all the way through the Proverbs, you see the righteous and the wicked. Righteous and wicked. You see that in the Psalms as well. Righteous and wicked in contrast to one another. A wicked person would be someone who breaks God's law, someone who does not do the right thing, who is not morally pure, who sins against God, who is not right with God. And so those are the, that's the contrast between the two. And that's really what we're going to, what we're seeing here in Jeremiah chapter 23. If you uh, were to pan back from the verses we just read to take a larger picture, what you'd find is that in chapter 22, Jeremiah is living in a time when God is about to bring the hammer down of judgment. He's about to take uh, Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, and take them off to Babylon in exile. And, and, And in chapter 22, you find out why. Because they had some really bad leaders all right? Bad leaders, wicked leaders. In fact, he goes through the list of them and all their offenses, right? And he's like, man, this guy, he he should have, they should have led Israel to me, should have pointed to me, but they were wicked, exploiting, abusing uh, their power and so on. And so he said, because of their wickedness, uh, you're going to be in exile for a period of time. But then you get to uh, the verses we just read and, and then he says, but there's going to come a day when I'm going to bring a righteous leader, all right? I'm going to bring a good leader. I'm going to be the perfect leader. And he is called the righteous branch. The righteous branch. Now, that may seem a little weird. Why, why righteous branch? What does that mean? Let me illustrate this way. Uh, Last time I was in Israel, which was this last summer, I went to Mount Arbel, which is one of my favorite places to go. It's right on the Sea of Galilee. It's one of the prominent uh, mountains, most likely the place where Jesus gave the Great Commission. So I love to go to that place. But I, I was there this summer and I saw something I'd never seen before. Of course, when you stand there, you can see the beautiful, picturesque Sea of Galilee. You can see all around it. You can see Mount Hermon up in the north. It's just a beautiful place. But I I saw this tree that was up there. And the tree was obviously dead. It was hollowed out. It was gray in color, weathered uh, by the elements. Uh, The top of it, it had been broken off probably by the high winds that come across the top of the mountain. So it was clearly dead. And yet, try to use your imagination, inside this hollow tree was growing another tree, which was actually growing up now past the stump and now was was strong and it was producing green leaves and it was just, it was a really cool thing. And I remember stopping and just kind of marveling at this thing because you don't often see something that's dead and like from within it come something that is alive. But that is exactly what Jeremiah is saying here. He's like, look, Israel, you're going to be in exile and you're going to think all hope is dead. You're going to think the nation is dead. You're going to think I I cut it off, right? That that Israel no longer exists as a nation because you're going to be dispersed and let off as slaves in Babylon. But listen, from, from the dead stump of Israel, I'm going to bring up a righteous branch. A leader I, I haven't forgotten you. I haven't abandoned you. I'm going to bring through you a righteous leader who will rise up from among your midst, from the seed of uh, and the and the line of David, who will lead you and will rule ultimately in righteousness. Not like your wicked kings, but a godly righteous king. Right. That's the that's the prophecy here. And what what great hope that would bring them right when they're uh, feeling forgotten. By the way, this is a great place for me to stop and say this. There are many times in our life when we feel like God's forgotten us. Isn't that true? You ever feel like, you know, God, I'm praying and praying and praying. I don't hear you saying anything to me. I'm reading your word. I don't get any good promise. I'm praying. I don't hear any voice from heaven. And I feel like God's forgotten me, God's abandoned me, that I'm all alone, that maybe things are dying. Maybe I feel like my relation, my kids is dying. I feel like my marriage is dying. I feel like my dreams and hopes of what I was gonna accomplish in life are dying. I feel like that uh, hope is dying. But listen, even in those places, God is at his best in bringing new life out of things that are dead. And he can breathe new life into you. And that's what he's saying here is, hey, you're going to think this is dead, but I'm going to bring about this righteous branch that will come up and will be like your other kings. He will rule in righteousness. You say, well, Craig, what, what does that have to do with us? Well, that promise of a righteous branch that would come hung suspended in the air of history for 600 years. While they were in Babylon, they were thinking about it and looking forward to it and hoping about it and praying toward it. Oh, God, bring the righteous branch. God, bring the leader that will rule in righteousness. And then one day, it happened. One day, the righteous branch came into the world. In a small, little, sleepy town, Bethlehem, the hometown of King David in a obscure little stable in the back of an inn. Mary and Joseph were there when Jesus, the righteous branch, was born. And the righteous branch came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our righteous uh, branch. And this really tells us the why of Christmas. Why is it that Jesus had to come into the world it really hinges on this word, righteousness. You say, Well, Craig, what does that mean for me? Or let me give you a couple of things to write down, okay? Get your paper out, get your pen out, whatever you take notes on your device. I want you to write these thoughts down. Here's the first one His righteousness reveals my problem. His righteousness reveals my problem. Look again at Jeremiah 23, verse 5. He said, I will raise up a righteous branch for David. The righteous one that will come will be perfectly righteous in every way. The righteous branch that will come, this one, this leader that will come, will be perfectly righteous in every way. Now, when Jesus began his ministry, uh, there was a guy named John the Baptist. Remember him? Remember John the Baptist? Not at me if you remember John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist was the guy that was preaching repentance and people were coming to him and being baptized, looking forward to the coming of this righteous branch, the Messiah. And uh, Jesus came to begin his ministry to be baptized by John. And of course, John was kind of pushing back, going, Whoa, whoa, whoa what, what are you doing coming and being baptized? You don't need to be baptized. I should be baptized by you, not you being baptized by me. And Jesus makes a very important statement. This is what he says in Matthew uh, 3, verse 15. He said, Let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. In other words, this is a description of really Jesus' ministry. Jesus came to walk this life, to live this life, and to fulfill all righteousness. To live this life as God would have us live this life. For example, if God wanted us, wants us to follow the Ten Commandments, Jesus would fi- fulfill the Ten Commandments perfectly perfectly. If he called his people to submit to the rite of baptism, then Jesus would submit to that perfectly, that Jesus fulfilled the the requirements of God all perfectly. He fulfilled every single command of God. That's why later on in Matthew 5, Jesus said this, verse 17, he said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, to fulfill them. So Jesus fulfilled every command and requirement of God perfectly. In John eight twenty nine, Jesus said, "I always do what pleases my Father." Think about that. I always do what pleases my Father. First John three five. In Him there is no sin. In First uh, First Peter two twenty two, He committed no sin. Hebrews four fifteen. He was tempted every way just as we are, and yet without sin. What that means here is that Jesus lived the perfect life. He was completely righteous in every possible way. There was no variant in him. He was righteous in every way. You say, well, Craig, that's great. What does that mean for us? That means that if we take Jesus as a standard now of perfect righteousness, then that just puts a spotlight on our big problem. Because you know what our big problem is, right? Is said, we're not righteous. <laughs> if he's the standard, <laughs> then we're not righteous. We, we can't be like that, right? We can't be like that. Look at the definition again. Let's look at the definition again of righteousness. Uh, morally upright, without guilt or sin. Is there anybody here that fits that description? No. And this is what the Apostle Paul is wrestling with in Romans chapter 3. Paul is seeking to be righteous before God. And he's trying to do all the right things and yet he continually fails. And he continually fails. And so finally he comes to the point where he says uh, in Romans 3.10, he said, there is no one righteous not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All have alike have become worthless. There's no one who does what is good. Not even one. I mean, you get the universal language. Nobody, not a zip. Nobody is righteous before God. We, we, we can't get there. We can't do enough good things. And you may say, whoa, whoa, hold on, preacher. Let me Let me push back for just a minute. Because, man, I'm not that bad. I mean... I'm not that bad. I mean, I'm, like, I'm actually a good guy. I mean, compared to the guy sitting next to me, I look golden, all right? I look fantastic compared to her, compared to him. I mean, I, I, I go to church. After all, I'm here, aren't I? And I believe in God. And I read my Bible every once in a while. And I give to the United Way. And I, I, I didn't blister my kids with my words this week. And I, I'm trying to do the right thing. Doesn't that count for something? yeah, we look pretty good if we measure ourselves against each other. But the problem is the standard is not the other person sitting next to you. The standard is who? Jesus. He's the perfect one. He's the righteous branch. And when we measure ourselves up against Jesus, we don't measure up. We fall short. And that's what the apostle Paul was wrestling with it. He goes, man, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to be righteous before God. How can I do that? But he said, I constantly fail and I don't measure up. And finally in, in Romans 3, uh, go all the way down to verse 23. He said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's all of us. Every one of us have fallen short of God's standard. We just don't measure up. And that's really the bad news of the Bible. This is a dark part of the scripture that Jesus came and his righteousness reveals our problem. He becomes a standard. He breaks the curve. He is perfect and we are not. That's the bad news. Anybody like some good news? Anybody want some good news today? So everybody say good news. All right, let's get to some good news. Let's, that's the second point. Uh, first point is, righteousness reveals my problem. Second, his righteousness covers my sin. His righteousness covers my sin. Look again, Jeremiah uh, twenty-three verse six. This is the name he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The, righteousness, the righteous one when he comes, this righteous branch when he comes, he's going to make the people right with God. The big question, the big theological question that we have to answer um, is simply this. How can a perfectly righteous God accept into his presence unrighteous people? That, that's the big question we're all screw-ups, right? And uh, how how in the world, we're so unrighteous, here's God, he's perfect, how can he accept us into his presence? And that is the big question we're trying to answer. It's the ontological question. And so, uh, with that, uh, religion says, oh, the answer to that is do. You got to do more stuff. You got to do religious things. You've got to do, uh, submit to religious rituals, go through religious rites. You have to do religious things. You've got to do more. You've got to do better. You've got to try harder and you work and you work and you work and you work to try to do the things that are right. And hopefully, one day, you move over to the other side. You move from the naughty list to the nice list, Right? Do. Only problem with that is you never know if you've what? Done enough, right? How do I know if I've done enough, if I worked enough, if I believed enough, if I tried hard enough, if I went enough, if I said the right prayers, if I believed the right thing, if I attended enough times, how do I know if I've ever done enough? The Apostle Paul was wrestling with that, right? He's trying to be righteous. He's trying to fulfill the law. He's trying to be, do everything right. And yet he knows he's failing. He knows he's failing. He knows, he's failing. He knows he's, he's failing. And so there's this tension. I'm trying to do better, but I'm constantly failing. I'm trying to do better, but I know I'm a mess up. I'm trying to do better, but I never can not quite get over the hump. Uh, by the way, is there anybody in here that feels that way sometimes? You know, I'm trying so hard to be the right kind of please God, yet I constantly screw up and mess up and I have these wicked thoughts and I say the wrong thing and I'm still selfish and I deal with my anger or or whatever the issue is that you have. And how in the world can I ever be right with God? And then Paul has this breakthrough, this like epiphany. And I just love this in Romans 3. That's why I said to kind of re- remember Romans Remember what Jeremiah said? He said, when the righteous branch comes, he will be the Lord, our righteousness. He's gonna be our righteousness. What does that mean? Well, Paul talks about this in Romans three twenty one, uh, And this is one of my favorite parts of the book of Romans, by the way. So you can put a little mark of the Craig's favorite verses right here in the in margin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. Attested by the law and the prophets. In other words, the Old Testament has been talking about it, pointing toward it. It's now being revealed. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's so much in that. It's so dense with truth. He said, but now... He's like, man, I've been racking my brain. I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to establish my own righteousness. And I know I'm failing. And he said, but now there's a revelation. The Old Testament has been pointing to it, uh, forecasting it, saying it's coming. Like this righteous branch, he's coming. But now I can finally see the righteousness doesn't come from me, me trying to be good enough. The righteousness comes from God. And it comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how one is made righteous. Listen, being right with God is not something you earn. It is something you receive. I want you to understand, I'm trying to say this with as much unction as I possibly can. Are you with me? Because it's really important. A lot of people get screwed up in their minds uh, and, and, follow and, and suffer a great deal. So I'm trying to help you here. The righteousness of God, the way you're right with God is not something that you earn. It is something you receive. It is not uh, something you work for. It's a gift of grace. It is not something you do. It is something that Jesus Christ has done for you. And this is, this is why Jesus came. This is what uh, many theologians have called the great exchange. That on the cross, Jesus Christ took on our sin. I want you to imagine that this jacket represents your sin. This is every time that you acted in anger, every time you acted selfishly, every, every immoral act, every act of uh, defiance, every time you broke God's law, every time you broke God's heart, everything you did in high school and college, everything you're still doing even today, the, the addictions that you have, all the things that you have that are separating you from God, your sin, your wickedness, your unrighteousness, all of this that you deserve punishment for. On the cross, all these things were put on the Lord Jesus. And God treated Jesus just as if he had done all these things. When God looked on Christ on the cross, he saw your sin and punished him as if he had done every one of them. And in so doing, he paid the penalty for your sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died in payment for your sin. And by his act of death on the cross, taking on your sin, you are now forgiven for your sin. The sin has been paid for. Justice has been enacted. But there's more. That's not all that happened on the cross. Not only was your sin put on Jesus Christ, But now get this, all of his righteousness, all the times he did the right thing, all the time he pleased the Father, every time he was obedient, every time he acted in selflessness, every time he met every commandment, every time he completed every requirement, every perfect thing that Jesus Christ has done, all of that was now in exchange for your sin placed on you. His righteousness now covering you. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see you as a screw-up or a disappointment or a failure or a wreck. He sees you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now listen, you say, was that really what the Bible says? Yes. This is the hope of the gospel In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, he made him who knew no sin, that is Jesus, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, that's that's the good news. That's the good news. Man, that you don't have to earn it. You don't have to worry about it. You have to keep trying. That doesn't mean that we don't try to seek to please God. But you're not earning your, your right standing before God. It is given to you, cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why I love uh, Isaiah 61, uh, verse 10. Listen to these words. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garment of salvation and wrapped me in the robe of of his righteousness, amen. You know, Jesus told a story about a a wayward son who took his inheritance and defiled his father who loved him and went off and spent it all on just partying, immorality, rowdiness, sinfulness, such an embarrassment. Today's day, he's probably posting it all on Instagram, you know, until finally, you know, when the money ran out, all his friends ran out, and then he went to the pig farm, and he was eating the slop of these pigs, and it finally comes to his mind, man, my dad's servants got it better than this. I'm gonna go back to my dad and I'm gonna ask him if I can just be a servant. I'm not worthy, I've ruined his reputation. I'm not worthy to be a son, just a servant. And he made his way back. And when the father saw him coming, you know the story he saw he knew that walk man he knew that gate he'd been praying and looking on the rise in all these years and then he finally that's him and he starts to run and he runs and he embraces his son and spins him around the son that is dead is now alive and the first thing he says is bring the robe Bring the robe and cover him. The stench of the pigs are all over. Cover his sinfulness. Cover his failures. Cover his wickedness with the robe of sonship. And my friends, that's exactly what happens anytime time a person turns to Jesus Christ in faith. You are covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And my friends, that is the reason why Jesus came. He didn't come just to live a, a great life and say, you know, just do your best, fellas. No, no, he came to live a perfect life so that he could impart that righteousness to you and me who do not deserve it. So, the righteousness of Jesus, it ex- reveals our problem. The righteousness of Jesus, it covers our sin. Let me get, there's more, by the way, there's more. I feel like I'm selling Ginsu knives, all right? But wait, there's more, Uh, all right? There's more. Somebody say, there's more. All right, verse five, looking back at verse five again. uh, He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely, right? So he's been talking about righteousness. This righteous branch is going to come. And so he has in view the coming of the Lord Jesus and he will be our righteousness. But he also looks past that beyond just the first coming of Jesus. And now we see a little bit of the second coming of Jesus, right? Because he's talking about Israel will be saved and he will rule and reign in righteousness. And that hasn't happened yet. All right, that's going to happen when Jesus Christ returns, that Christ is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem over the earth. So I'm going to give me a shout out for that. That's right. He's going to go, we, we studied this in the book of Revelation. Not at me if you remember that we studied the book of Revelation. All right. Yes, we studied that, that Christ will return in his millennial kingdom. He will reign a thousand years on the earth and all the nations will come to him. And listen, he will right every wrong and he will do set everything straight. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming and he is going to rule in righteousness. No more political games, no more political corruption, no more back-end deals, no more people uh, exploiting others, no more hatred, no more division. King Jesus will rule on the earth. Praise God he's coming. Amen. He's coming. And he's going to rule in righteousness. He's going to sit on his throne. Now let me ask you something. When he sits on his throne. When he comes again. How in the world are you going to be able to come into his presence? You're going to say, well, Jesus, you know, here are a couple of things that I did good. No, 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 that's not going to work. I went went to church one time, you know. No, no. Not going to be enough. The only way you can be found before Him as He sits on His throne is being clothed in His righteousness. When He will come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Remember that song? When he will come with trumpet sound. Sing it with me. Oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone. for lest to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid. Come on. Rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. That's why Jesus came. That's why he came. That first Christmas, Jesus came to demonstrate his righteousness, to fulfill all righteousness, and then to impute that righteousness to you by grace through faith in Christ so that you can stand. And my friends, everything else outside of Jesus is sinking sand. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. You may be here today and you say, I don't know for sure if I'm right with God. Maybe you've told yourself, well, you know, I'm a good person. I believe in God. I've tried hard. But now you know that righteousness will not sustain you before God. You must be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, which happens by faith in him. so let me ask you has there been a moment in time when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone and if you say Craig I'm not sure I think so but I don't know but I want to give you a chance to nail that down today right here right where you are God knew that you were going to be here today he knew this message was coming and he's giving you an opportunity right now to place your trust and your faith in Jesus I'm going to pray a simple prayer of faith confessing your sin asking Jesus to come into your life to forgive you to clothe you in his righteousness. And if you say today, I'm not sure, I want to be sure. I want you to lift up your hand right now. Pastor, pray for me. And I will see it. And I will lead you in a prayer right where you're seated. I'm going to call you out. But God will see it. And that lifting up your hand is a confession that I need Jesus. So everybody's head bowed right now. Lift up your hand. Spirit of God is moving in your heart. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I want to know for sure. Lift up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. I want to know for sure that I'm right with God. Lift it up high where I can see it, okay? All right? Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need to know for sure. Lift it up. All right? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. The Spirit of God's moving in your heart, convicting you. Now's the time. Don't wait. Why would you wait when this is the moment? Lift up your hand one more time. Anybody else? All right, thank you. Thank you. All right, you can put your hand down now. Just pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I know I am unrighteous. And I only deserve judgment. But Lord Jesus, you are the righteous one. And you died in my place. And you rose again from the dead. And so right now, I'm turning from my sin and I'm placing my faith in you. Lord, clothe me in your righteousness. Wash me clean. I put my trust in you today. And I choose to follow you with all my life. Lord, I thank you For your word today that reminds us of why you came. You came to clothe us in your righteousness. You died for our justification, but you lived for our righteousness. And you give it to us by faith. Lord, thank you for that precious gift. Lord, I pray that as we go through this Christmas season, we will remember the word righteous. That you are our righteousness. And Lord, let it drive us to worship you. And to praise you for all that you've done.